Well, hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for church today. I'm so glad that you're with us. These last couple of weeks, we've been talking about marriage as a part of this series. And it's been great to see what the scripture says about marriage and how we can apply that. But as we talk about faith and family, there's another aspect of family that we should turn our attention to, and that's parenting. A few weeks ago, we talked about the threats to marriage. And today, that's what I want to do with parenting. I want to look at the threats that we have to parents. Now, I've been fortunate to grow up in a, a good family. Not perfect by any means, but good. My parents, they met when they were in high school uh, at a club in Miami when my dad was a DJ. So that's kind of my origin story. Uh, but they've been married for 39 years, and they've been a great example for me about Uh, marriage and what that looks like, but something happens when you become a parent and your, your whole perspective changes on, on your parents and on your family and your experiences and kind of how you view the world. Parenting is a part of every family, whether you are a parent or you have a parent, it's a part of every family structure. But one of the things that I've seen from being a parent to young kids to also working with kids and students and parents of teenagers for the past decade is that there are some serious threats to parenting that that, that parents face when it comes to guiding their kids in their faith. Now, I want to be clear that what I share with you today should be applicable to any stage that you find yourself in as a parent, whether you have newborns or you have uh, older kids or your kids have their own kids, or maybe you're just around kids a lot. These things are all applicable to us and things that we should consider. There are threats that are facing every parent in every phase of parenting. And that if we don't pay attention to, if we ignore them, then they can have drastic implications on the faith development of their kids. But let me ask you a question as we start. And I want you to think about this. Who is responsible for a kid's faith development? When you think about that, I don't know what comes to mind at first, but overwhelmingly, the answer is the parent. The parent is the one that's responsible. If we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, we see something that's called the Shema. It was something that, that Israel was supposed to recite to their children, impress on their children. It was the parent's responsibility. But oftentimes, that's not how parents operate. They put that responsibility in the hands of the church or a Sunday school teacher, maybe even a school, but it's always been the parent. So today, I've got five ideas, or I want to call them five threats to parents that that parents face when it comes to raising their kids in faith. And this message is going to look a little bit different today. All our scripture comes from the book of Proverbs. Now, although I'd love to focus on one single text and have it teach us everything that we need to know about parenting— I was kind of told to make this very, very practical for you. So we're going to look at these five threats and and we're going to look at what the Proverbs teach us and we're going to go through this together. I hope that's insightful. I hope that it is thought-provoking and beneficial for you. So here's the first one. Threat number one that parents face is that parents, they just don't know how to parent. (laughs) I mean, come on, listen. I'm saying this because I also know how this feels. Every stage of parenting kind of feels like this. Well, what am I supposed to do here, right? Uh, We get this overwhelmingly sense of uh, this feeling that we just don't know what we're doing. You've probably heard this popular proverb from 
Proverbs 22, verse 6. It says this, Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. That's great, but it implies something that's kind of taken for granted, and that is that we know which way to send our kids, right? Take, for example, this proverb. Proverbs 1, verses 8 and 9 says, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. Yes, that's a great verse, right? Yes, listen to us. But do we know what to say? Do we know which way to send them? Do we know how to raise a kid in their faith? And do we know how to parent? Oftentimes the answer is just simply no. We're figuring things out as we go. And and the reality is, is that for most parents, and I know that there's exceptions to this. There are some of you watching that are really smart and you read a lot of books and you know exactly what you're doing. But for the most of us, the reality is this. We don't know what we're doing. (laughs) If we're being honest, if we can just be real. Let me tell you a story. My daughter is five years old and she loves to draw things and tape them on our wall. Like that's one of her hobbies, right? She'll get paper out and she'll uh, draw things and then just tape them all over our house on the walls. Well, not too long ago, she was also in swim lessons and she refused to put her head under the water and swim. And so we told her, we say, listen, we're taking the tape away. You know, no more tape in our house until you put your head under water and swim. So you know what happened. The next week at swim practice, she goes and she puts her head under the water and swims. And now all of a sudden we have pictures taped all over our house again. Did I parent that right? Is, is bribing your kids with scotch tape okay? I, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. We are figuring things out. And often, parents, we, we just don't know exactly what to do. We think we might. We're, we're going to try things. But I have felt that way. And maybe you have as well. There's a book that was written about parenting by Chap Clark. It's called Disconnected. And he describes the five tasks of parenting as this. Number one, understanding, showing compassion, boundaring, which isn't a real word, charting or guiding, and launching into what's next. You see, you have to understand your kids. You you have to listen to them and not always tell them what to do. You have to show compassion and care for the things that they are dealing with in their life. You have to create boundaries for them. We'll talk more about this later in the message. And you, you have to show them the way. And you have to set them up for success in whatever stage is next in their life. See, one of the foundational threats to parenting is that we just don't know what we're doing. We just don't know what we're doing. And so the question is, And this is true for any stage of parents. The question is, what is your goal in parenting? Seriously, write that question down, put it in your phone, take a picture of it. Just just think about that for a second. What is your goal in parenting? And spend some time trying to answer that how you want. Because if you don't have something you are trying to accomplish, you are just going day by day and and, and you're hoping that they turn out okay. We have to have a goal. We have to have a target in parenting. That doesn't mean that you are going to be a know-it-all. doesn't mean that you're going to make all the right decisions, but at least you have some direction in what you are trying to accomplish and what you're trying to do. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this threat because I think it's just foundational for all of us is that we have to recognize that sometimes we just don't know what we're doing. 
But that cannot stop us from having a goal in how we parent and what we're trying to do. You see, Jesus was uh, talking to uh, some people about being a disciple and the cost. And he tried to warn people about following him and weighing those costs ahead of time. He said this in Luke chapter 14. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. You see, the same concept is true in our parenting. If you're going to have kids and you're going to raise kids and that's what you've set out to do, shouldn't you at least have a plan to make sure that you're doing it the right way? We won't always get it right, but we have to have a goal. There's plenty of resources out there to help us. And if you're looking for somewhere to start, let me suggest you try the book, Parenting Beyond Your Capacity. It's by Reggie Joyner. But at the very least, one of the best things to do is just talking and working with other parents because we can figure this out together. Here's the second threat. Number two, parents don't create enough family time. Now, this is the one that as time goes on as a parent, this becomes harder and harder. And, and, and I think that's natural and I think it's okay. But one of the biggest threats that parents face is that you just don't spend enough time with your kids. If you have small ones at home, do you get on the floor and play with them and not just watch them? If you have young kids, do, do you find ways to be involved in the things that they are interested in? If you have teenagers, are you creating ways to experience life with your teenager and not just be a place where they sleep and they eat? If you have grown adult kids, are you creating environments that encourage and promote time together as a family? Is, is spending time with your family a daily routine? Is that something that you think about? This is true over all stages of parenting is that we need more time together. Proverbs chapter 27 verse 10 says this, Do not forsake your friend or a friend of your family. And do not go to your relative's house when disaster strikes you. Better a neighbor nearby than a relative far away. Now that sounds like a really strange verse and something that doesn't fit. But, but look at the end. Look what it says. Better a neighbor nearby than a relative far away. Here's the idea. The idea is that proximity is important. Being together is important. And for so many parents, we're not creating enough time together as a family. Yes, life gets busy. We're involved in things. Kids play sports. They're in choirs. Adults have work and on and on and all, all kinds of things. This is one of the things that personally I've tried to protect. I try to do really well at this because normally I'm gone a couple nights a week with work. And so I often have to say no to certain things to protect my family time. I say no to things because sacrificing time with my wife and my kids just doesn't seem worth it. And if we truly believe that, that a family is the most important thing in our life, then our schedules and our time manage it, management have to start reflecting and looking like that is true for us. So that means that parents need to have priorities too when it comes to protecting time together as a family. So let me ask you some questions. I just want you to think about these for a second. How many meals do you eat together as a family over the course of a week? How many times do you do something together as a family? Instead of all everybody doing their own thing, how many times do you do something together in the course of a week? 
When was the last time you went out of your way, out of your way to do something different just for the experience together as a family? How you answer those questions can maybe show you where your time management is and how much effort you as a parent are putting into making sure you spend time together as a family. My wife is so good at this. She constantly pushes us to do things together as a family, even if it's just for the experience. We go to the zoo and the children's museum or the aquarium, and we take our kids pretty much everywhere we go because we want to have those experiences together as a family. And she is always looking for new things to do, new experiences for us to have. She wants us to have meaningful time together. She really helps us to do that. But sometimes it can just be time at home, right? And we've had so much of that lately, right? With, through the, through the stay at home order and the quarantine, oh, my, we spent so much time together and we did the same thing and the same routine for so long. You know, one day, my daughter, I think, just got fed up with it. And she just said, we're doing something new. And so we said, okay. And uh, she orchestrated a wedding for all of us. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, we, we got dressed up and we played wedding music. And the girls got to walk down the hallway with flowers. And we did the whole thing. And, of course, we had a reception with a pretend tea party and baby shark music. And it was just a whole ordeal. Was it? Was it a lot of work? Yeah, it was. I didn't want to put a sport jacket on and, and, and go through all this stuff and everything. But we created a memory. We created a moment. We laughed. We had fun together and smiled. All because we just spent some time together as a family. Rather than doing our own thing and doing whatever we wanted to do by ourselves. We spent time together as a family. One of the biggest threats to raising kids to follow Jesus is that we just don't spend enough time with them. Parents, please make sure you are spending time with your kids and making it a priority. No matter how young or how old and grown up they are, spend time with them. Here's the third threat. Number three, parents don't model their faith to their kids. This is a tough one to hear, but I'm here to tell you that one of the biggest threats to becoming, your kids becoming mature followers of Christ is that they don't see it from you. Now, maybe this doesn't apply to you, but maybe it does. If you want your kids to be a person that has a deep relationship with Jesus, do they see it from you? Have they seen that from you? Do they see you have a quiet time in Scripture? Do they see you pray? Do they see you serve the church or people in need? Do they see you living out your faith? Do they see it from you? Because if it's all talk and it's not real, then they're not going to follow suit. It's so important. And I'm speaking to myself. It's so important for us to model our faith to our kids. Look at this from Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7. It says, the righteous lead blameless lives. Blessed are their children after them. Blessed are the kids whose parents are doing what they expect of themselves. Now, I told you last week, my grandma had a lot of catchphrases. And one of the things that my grandma used to say, and I know it's not original to her. You've probably heard this. But she would say this, do as I say, not as I do, right? You've, you've probably heard that before. And I always thought that was unfair, right? It's not that's not fair. She would expect and require things of me 
like behavior or words that she wasn't willing to do herself. And so naturally it was easy for, to me, for me to make excuses on why I wouldn't uh, do things or be a certain way because, listen, she wasn't either, so why do I have to do it? So how do we expect our kids to want to be or do something that we are not showing them that's important for us to do as well? When we don't model our faith, it is a major threat to every kid who's looking at their parents for what it looks like to follow Jesus. Kara Powell of the Fuller Youth Institute did a study on exactly this, on the findings on the very topic of modeling your faith to your kids. And they came up with three findings. I want to share these with you. Finding number one, we will get what we are. This is basically what we've just said and discussed. If you are not the things that you hope your kids to be, then there is a small chance that they also turn out to be what you want them to be. You are going to get what you are. But even more than that, finding number two is this. We will get what our kids think we are. Now, this takes it a step further and recognizes the importance of not only being those things in front of our kids, but making sure that we model it for them. Because if they don't ever see it and see it often, then they're going to make their own conclusions on how to live or what it means to be a Christian. We get what our kids think we are. We need to make sure that we are modeling our faith for our kids to see. Now, finding number three, it should be encouraging to you. Finding number three is that there are many ways to model your faith. And what that means is that there isn't any cookie cutter answer for what this has to look like. However you want to model your faith to your kids, good, do it, be you. But be you with Jesus and make sure your kids see it and that they see it often. My kids, they like to play on on phones, right? Just like a lot of kids do. And we've given uh, some old cell phones to them and put some games on it. And we don't let them do that very often. We try to limit it. But a couple of weeks ago, my son, who is three, he wanted to play a game. And I said, no. I said, no, listen, it's nice outside. We're going to play outside. You're not playing on your phone right now, okay? And then (laughs) out of nowhere, he looks at me. He looks at me right in the eyes and he says, but you're on your phone. And I looked down in my hand. I realized my phone was in my hand. And I go, yep, you're right, but you're not getting on yours, <laughs> right? I, I felt so silly in that moment because I was putting a restriction. I was putting a requirement of him that I was not modeling for him. Do as I say, not as I do, right? This is so important. Listen, this is so important for us to figure out. We have to be modeling our faith to our kids. We have to be leading the way for them and showing them what it looks like to follow Jesus. Jesus did this for his disciples, okay? Listen, he lived it. He constantly lived it. But one time he just said it. Like he just flat out told his disciples and said it. He had just finished finished washing their feet. And here's what what we read in John chapter 13. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked. You call me teacher and Lord and rightfully so for that is what I am. Now that I, your teacher, And Lord, have washed your feet. You also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. You see, Jesus made it so clear when he did this and he modeled it for them. He took the interpretation out. 
parents need to model their faith to their kids. Whether your kids are toddlers or your kids are grown adult kids, the job does not stop. Your job, your role as a parent will always be to model your faith on what it looks like to follow Jesus to your kids. No matter how young or old they are, it will always be your job to model your faith. I'm still learning this today from my parents. I look at them and I'm learning how to grandparent. I'm learning what it looks like uh, to to love your spouse after all those years of marriage. I'm still learning from my parents' model. Sadly, one of the top reasons that young people don't become mature followers of Christ is because they don't see it from their parents. And so we have to begin modeling this. Here's the next one. Number four, parents... Don't leave space for kids' doubt. Now, above anything else, as being a high school pastor, working with teens and and watching them as they turn into young adults, this is the one that hurts to watch. Because parents who don't leave room for their kids to have doubts about their faith make asking questions about faith not safe to do. And the consequences for that could be catastrophic. We spent an entire sermon series last year on this. It was called Room for Doubt. We're expressing our doubt, expressing our desire as a church to basically say, it's okay to have doubt. It's It's okay to have questions. And I think that was helpful for all of us. But this has to be modeled in our parenting as well. Proverbs chapter 27 verse 5 says this, better is open rebuke than hidden love. And That verse reminds me of so many young people and kids who blindly follow a faith that they have questions and concerns about. And so rather than hearing rebuke like, well, you just need to believe, or you just need to have more faith, or you just have to trust, rather than hearing that, they just hide their questions. They just hide them. But the the problem is, is that eventually, those questions come out. They don't stay hidden forever. And, and if we haven't fostered an atmosphere where doubt can be expressed and, and it can be explored, then we, here's the dangerous part, if we don't do that, we are going to give someone else the voice for those answers. My daughter is starting to ask these questions. These, the questions that we often avoid with teens or adults, they usually come at the end of the night when she's in bed thinking, and she'll ask things like this. Why can't I hear God? What's God look like? Right? Why can't I see Jesus? Who made God? (laughs) I mean, those can be answered very theologically, which I don't recommend doing with a five-year-old, okay? But they can also be answered with, that's a great question. Let's talk about that. But do you think that some of those questions linger throughout a person's life? Why can't I hear God? I don't know if I've ever felt God's presence in my life. And and when those questions return, do they have a safe place to ask and to talk about them? Because if they don't, they're just going to go back to hiding those questions and just pretend that they're supposed 
to believe one of the biggest threats to someone's faith not developing is their questions not being answered. We, we have to do better in this. There's no, there's no excuse for this. In John chapter 20, we read of Thomas and when he doubted that Jesus rose from the dead. We've talked about this as a church before. And, but one of the biggest things and the biggest moments of this story that we often lo- overlook is that Thomas was still around, right? He, he told the disciples that he didn't believe them. I mean, basically said, you guys are lying. Like, I don't believe you that Jesus rose from the dead. But a week goes by and they're still hanging out together. They're still together. Why? Because there was room for doubt. That There was space available to not believe and to not understand and to give time to get to that point. Parents, listen, guide your kids. Guide them. But more than that, don't choose their beliefs for them. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. Show them the way, right? But let it be their belief because ultimately it has to be their belief for it to last. Allow them to wrestle with their questions and provide a safe place for that to happen. This is so important for us to do. That parents have to allow room for doubt and questions about their faith and provide a safe place for that to happen. Here's the last one. It's that parents don't censor culture enough. Now, this is where I believe most parents think that the most harm is done. What influence does culture have in a person's life? This is true for each and every one of us, but as a parent who has control over this or who can have control over that, the question becomes how much do we censor, right? Here's how this plays out. Look at this verse from Proverbs chapter 21, verse 2. A person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. This is true for all of us, but when you think about a kid in culture, this is spot on. They, whether a kid or like an adolescent, they think that they know what's best, right? And if your kid doesn't, they're going to at some point. They will think they know more than you. My kids, they do this to me already. They, they know what I should and shouldn't do because they know what's best, right? So, so this is the problem because they don't always know what's best for them. There is space for a kid to, to grow and to learn from their own mistakes and decision-making. But listen, my kids want to eat mini muffins and donuts every morning for breakfast. They think that's a great idea. Nutritionally, as a parent, I know what's better for them. I know what's best for them. And so sometimes we have to make the better decision for them. But there's also a need for a parent to censor certain things for their kids. That's why we have ratings on movies and TV shows, and that's why there are age and height restrictions for roller coasters. Protecting kids is important. But somewhere along the way, here's what happens. Somewhere along the way, many parents, they drop the rope on this one and they let their kids decide what to take in from culture. Whether it's from the music or the shows that they watch, to social media, to things that they're involved in, somewhere parents let go and they let them decide. Now listen, eventually that has to happen. I'm not naive. I know that has to happen. But when parents don't censor culture enough and they allow culture to have as much of a voice and impact in the life of a kid as the word of God, then we begin to have problems. This is called boundary. If we can make this a word, parents create boundaries 
and enforce them. And as a parent, especially to ones that may be still living in your home, you have to make the best decision for them, even when they don't think that's true or agree with you. Okay, now listen, I'm probably losing a little bit of love from the teenagers out there listening, saying, listen, what's he exactly telling my parents to do right now? But all I'm saying is this. If we go back to our foundational question, who is responsible for the faith development of your kid? The answer is the parents. And if we don't censor the outside noise and the outside voices that want to teach our kids and our teens what is right, what is wrong, what is acceptable, and what is not, then they will learn their values and their beliefs from people who are not you. And we can't have that. Proverbs 29, 15 says this, a rod and a reprimand impart wisdom, but a child left undisciplined or alone disgraces its mother. That word undisciplined is the same word as alone. A child left alone to figure and decipher what is right and wrong from culture is not good. Parents have to step in and to do this for their kids and to help teach them while we can. So let me tie all this together because I hope that this does not come across negative. I don't pretend to have this all figured out as a parent, far from it. But when I look at my life and when I look at the number of students and parents that I've worked alongside over the past decade, these are the threats that are facing all of us. And if we don't recognize them, it's going to be really hard for us to overcome them. So here's what I want you to do. What I'd love for you to do with all of this is to pick at least one thing, one of those five threats, and say, I need to do better here. This is the area that hits me the most. I say, I've got to do better here. I need to work on this. And if you struggle to identify what that is, or, or maybe you're thinking for any reason, none of this applies to me, or I'm actually really good at all those type of things, Let me challenge you with this. Someone's eyes are watching you, right? There is someone that is looking to you about how to live and what it looks like to follow Jesus and to be a Christian. Someone's eyes are watching you. So model your faith. The Apostle Paul said it like this. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. We all can take ownership of our faith and example and model to a younger generation what it looks like to follow Jesus. From how you behave and you interact online to how you treat people and talk to people to everything in between. Model your faith to younger people who are looking at you. Let me ask you one final question as I wrap this up. This is something I want you to ponder, maybe just consider. If a whole generation of Christians grew up and became what you are, what would the state of the church be? How you answer that question can maybe give you a grade on how well you think you're doing and modeling your faith so that others can follow after you. If we all do this, one person one family at a time, we begin to make our world better. And the threats that parents are facing become more manageable when we are just leading by example. That is my challenge and that's my encouragement for you. There's threats facing parents every single day. We've got to pay attention to them. We've got to do better. We have to be intentional and we have to model our faith. Let's pray.
Father, thank you so much for how you love us and what you have done for us. You are our Father. And we look to you and how to live, how to behave, how to treat people. Lord, I pray in this moment, I, I know that there are people watching this that, that have young kids and old kids and grown kids and their kids have their own kids and there's people watching this that don't have kids, that will never have kids or whatever it is. I pray that you would help us to see the very foundational truth that regardless of what it looks like in our life, whether we are a parent or not, or what it looks like, someone is always looking at us. And so we have to model what it looks like to follow you. God, help us to feel that weight, help us to feel that burden, and help us to be intentional about raising a generation and teaching a generation what it looks like to follow you. Pray that you'd help us to do that. I pray that these threats today could be a challenge and that parents can identify where we can do better because a generation of kids and teenagers and young adults and young parents, they need guidance and they need you and there are threats facing parents in every stage. Father, protect us and lead us and guide us and help us to do it better. Thank you for Jesus and all that he's done for us. Pray all these things in his name. Amen.